does a loving father correct his children? He talks to them. He talks to them. He tells you, I love you. Yes, you made a mistake, but this is where we're going to get it right. And the way the church taught it for years was God corrects you by beating you up. Right? Car accidents. All right? He's going to destroy everything in your life to get the point across. And what we have seen is, wait a second, Jesus stood in our place. Jesus stood in front of the car. Jesus took all that, all the punishment that came because of our disobedience so that now God says, hey, I've been set free. I can give you the fullness of my love for you. And now we see that God is so good. He is better than we thought he was. So I'm excited you're here. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into the word. But before we do, let's pray. Can we do that? Father, we thank you that you are here. That's what matters this morning. Lord, we thank you this morning as we look to you, as we look to your blueprint for relationships. I ask, Father, the same thing I've been asking. I ask that whatever miracle needs to happen, that it happens as we look to you, Jesus. Father, whatever uh, uh, favor needs to take place in relationships this morning, Lord, I thank you that you are doing what only you can do. And Father, I thank you that as we end the series this morning, I thank you that the relationships of the people in this church will be a more beautiful, more excellent picture of how you see us. And so, Father, I thank you that you are making everyone in here an example of how good you can be. And we thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. So, husbands, we ready? Now, I will say, when I was preparing for this morning, I said, you know, um, the men are outweighed by the women. There are just, it's just matter of fact, there's more women here than there are men. Now, there's a few more men here than I was anticipating, so I'm glad for that. But suffice to say, I didn't want to exclude the other majority of the church. So we're going to uh, uh, mix a little bit with some of the women as well. But we're going to talk to the men this morning. So do you have your Bible? Can you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. Awesome. We'll go ahead and pick up Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 25. And let's just talk to uh, um, what the Apostle Paul says. We've been sharing it for the last three weeks. So uh, why not share it one more time? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. The Apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. One more time. Husbands, love your wives. Can you say love? love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the and gave himself for who? Now notice, again, we said this for the last three weeks, and we'll say it again. Notice, he does not say, husbands, love your wives, period. Thank you for that thunderous amen. He does not say, love your wives, period. He says, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church. Now, I ask you, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself for her. He gave his life for her. He spread his arms and said, I will stand in her place. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, or one of my favorite laws, I should say, in the Bible, and we've shared on it quite a few times, Exodus 21. And in Exodus 21, God says this is the law of the servant, right? He says if a, if a man has a servant, on six years he works, but on the seventh year, he's to go free. And if he acquires a wife during those six years, at the end of the sixth year, he has to leave his wife and the children behind, and he goes free. But if the man says, I love my wife, I love my children, I love my master, all right? Then he goes to, the, to his master. He says that the master will take him to the doorpost of the city. There he will pierce his ear with an awl. Interesting. And then he can stay, he can keep his wife and his children, but he must be a slave 
forever. Are you with me? And what do we see here? God was not talking about us. God was talking about Jesus. Jesus had a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I could leave if I want because I'm perfect. I'm holy. I'm just. I can leave. But I love you too much. In fact, I love you so much, I will choose to be a servant forever. Now, most church, you don't talk about Jesus being a servant. I'm here to serve you, God. And yet Jesus says, no, no, no. I want to serve you. Are you with me? Now, this is the picture of a husband. And again, I'm not here to make anyone feel condemned. But we want to, so, we want to see the blueprint that God has. Because when you are beholding the glory of the Lord, the Holy Spirit will transform you into the image that you are beholding. So if you have a husband, get ready for a new one. And no one said amen. All right. <laughs> Let me say it again. If you have a husband, get ready for a new one. If you are single and you're looking, may the Lord give you the best. And now they say amen. If you are in a relationship and you go, he could be the one. May the favor of God cause them to be transformed into the image that they are beholding. And everyone said amen. Amen. All right. So anyways, Christ gave himself for the church. And he did it by laying his life down for her. Likewise, husbands, love your wives not as your wife wants you to love her, but love her as Christ loves the church. Now notice he does not say husbands submit and he doesn't say wives love. It's easier for women to love and it's easier for men to submit. And we say this, we've said it again for three weeks, but I think it's just the perfect picture. When you go out to eat or when you're both hungry in the car, and we've done this just this past week again, and I've decided just looking and studying on the things I'm meditating on, I'm going to stop just submitting and say, what do you want? And she says, what do you want? And I say, I don't know. What do you want? And she says, well, what, what do you want? And I say, well, sweetheart, I love you so much. What do you want? It's easier for me to submit because I love her so much. This is the burden I bear. <laughs> because I love her, it's easier for me to submit and say, sweetheart, what do you want? But in her heart, she's saying, what do you want? Now, I can do this for the next 30 minutes. I'll spare you. My point is this. It's easier for men to submit. And God has done something in women. He's given women the ability to lead. He has given women the ability to lead. And not just lead, but lead well. And all the women said, you are an excellent leader. And what God does is he doesn't call people who are great at something to do something. He calls people who are not good at something to do that. Are you with me? He calls people who aren't good. So he says, husbands, you're not great leaders. I want you to lead. That way, we have to trust God more. That way, we have to be more humble. And most men don't, most men don't understand this. So what they do is they say, I'm the head of the house. I will lead. And they never go to God and they never ask their wives. Are you with me? And because they never do that, they find themselves in trouble. So what God does is he gives the woman the ability to lead. And he says, I want you to submit. That takes grace. Then he says to the husbands, it's easier for you to submit, but I want you to be the one to make the final decision. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that women are less than men. It means that God is bringing us back to his original plan. We are equal. We are equal. However, we have different parts. Are you with me? Doesn't mean I'm greater than her because I'm the head. She's the body. She's the neck. She turns the head. All right. My attention could be one way, but I'm learning that when she says, Matthew, look over here, my attention is being diverted. You might say, well, I talked to Matthew about this. Talk to the neck. There you go. (laughs) If you understand your position, you'll realize that God is not saying you are less than. God is saying, hey, do your part, and I'll give you the grace to make sure that everything works the way it's supposed to. Now, I'm not going to share about last week. 
Last week was really fun for me. I really enjoyed it. And as I'm saying uh, for the last couple of weeks, I have learned to appreciate my wife more. I'm telling you, I appreciate my wife more. And I'm beginning to make more decisions. The other day she said, what do you want to eat? And I almost said, what do you want? And as the words came out, I stopped and said, I, I know what I want to eat. She said, okay. And she has the bad habit of pulling the phone out when it's time to figure out what we want to eat. I'll say, sweetheart, are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. So she'll pull the phone out and she'll start doing this, looking at pictures. And I know because I look over. She's on Instagram. She said, sweetheart, are you, are you still hungry? Yes, I'm hungry. What do you want? So I said, you know what? I'm going to stop submitting. That's it. So I just started driving. <laughs> we ended up at a place we've never been to before. What was it? It was Chicken King, right? Now, there are like 50,000 Chicken Kings in Charlotte. Never been to this Chicken King. Didn't even know that Chicken King existed. We end up at Chicken King, and the food was pretty good. And she goes, man, that's, that's pretty good. I said, did you want some? No, I'm okay. I'm not hungry. She just didn't want to own up to the fact she was hungry. We get almost home, and she goes, I should have got something to eat at Chicken King. That's right. That's right. So now what happened? God has graced me <laughs> to be the head. And I made a decision. And when I got home away from her, I said, thank you, Jesus. I made a decision. Now, again, I'm just being funny for the sake of being funny. But the point I'm trying to make is this. When we do our parts, we'll find that God gives us the grace to be successful. And men, we are better off trusting the opinion of our wives. We are better off trusting. And for women, you say, well, I'm not a man. Listen, this should give you confidence. This should give you confidence. Even if you're looking, if you're looking for a man, let me say this. He will be better off listening to you. But be gracious if he doesn't. And ask God to give you the favor that you need for him to hear you. Because we are better off. Last week, what did we say? When things are working, God gives us the power to get wealth. Wealth. Isaac was separated from his wife. He had the promise of God, but he was separated from his wife. Then when they came back together, all of a sudden he sowed at a time of famine. And God gave him a hundredfold return. When we are working together as one, all right, God gives us the power to get wealth. Are you with me? So let's keep going one more time. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now notice, how does Jesus cleanse you? How does he do it? With the word. Now the word, word right here in Greek is not the written word. It's rhema, spoken word. So when you come here and we share the word of God out loud, that's the word that cleanses you. You say, well, I, I read my Bible at home. I'm being cleansed. No, no, no. <laughs> this word is actually rhema, the spoken word. So when you come to the house of God and you're hearing about how good God is, God is speaking to you through the voice of the one that's preaching and he's cleansing you. All the things that are trying to attach themselves to you. Now, knowing this as a husband, how am I supposed to love my wife? As Christ loves the? How does Christ love you? He speaks to you. Speaks to you. When you come into his house, he speaks to you. How, do I, how, how am I supposed to love my wife? When she comes home, I speak to her. Are you with me? Now, notice, what does Christ say to the church? In Song of Solomon, what's one, of, what's one thing that Christ says to the church? In Song of Solomon, from the one who's writing a book on Song of Solomon. One thing. That's too good. He doesn't say that. He says, thou art all fair. What is that? Thou art what? <laughs> I'm just joking. Thou art Thou art all fair, old King James. Thou art all fair, my beloved. There is no spot in you. Now, when my wife comes home and she's, 
she, she says, well, well, you know, this happened, that happened, this happened. And she talks around the problem. She tells me all this. My job is to tell her, is to speak over her the same way Christ speaks over us. Are you with me? I speak over her and I tell her, thou art all fair, my beloved. There is no spot or blemish in you. Are you with me? Now, the world has an image of what they think is beautiful. When she comes home and she sees and she has all these, all these, my job is to speak life over her. You are all fair, my beloved. I don't speak in old King James, but you get my point. We are to speak over you. And that's how we wash you with the water of the word. Now, can I show you something really cool? Let's look at this. First Peter, watch this. First Peter chapter three. I'm going to read this and I'm going to come to verse 10. But before we do, I just want to show you this. Okay, let's read down to verse 10. Peter says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them, talking about wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together in the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, real quick, why does he always talk to men second, women first? Now, we shared this about a week ago. Why does God always talk to women first and then men second, even though men are the head? I believe because women are more spiritually discerning. Now, I'm going to show you that in just a moment in the story of Abraham. I'm going to show you in just a moment. But before we do, keep in mind, I believe that women are more spiritually inclined. They're, they, they, they just are. All right. They are more spiritually inclined. They don't just move on what, what moves them. They move based on many times what the Holy Spirit is giving to them. All right. Now, knowing that, that gives me a safety that I can trust my wife more. Even though I see things from a logical perspective, I can trust her more because in all honesty, God many times is speaking to me through her. And she doesn't even know it. The woman clapped upstairs. <laughs> so one more time. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor. And the word understanding is logic, common sense. It's not deep revelation. It's, it's actually gnosis in the Greek, according to exper experiential knowledge. All right. Giving honor to the wife. Can you say honor? honor? Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Wow. That your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now watch this. For or because he who would love life and see good days. Do you want to love life? Do you want to see good days? Watch this. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes, for or because, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Are you righteous? Yes. Are you righteous? Yes. All right. Watch this. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, why am I showing you all of this? Watch this. It starts off with husbands, but it comes down to what? Verse 10. He who would love life and see good days. Now, it is God's desire that you should love life and see good days. God doesn't want you to just go through life. He wants you to love it. Love life and see good days. But notice the key to loving life and seeing good days comes right behind husbands and wives. I didn't talk about wives. We're talking about husbands this morning. Husbands. Now, what is the part that a man plays if we all want to love life and see good days. Watch this. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor. Can you say honor one more time? Honor. honor. Now the word honor, I don't have it up here. The word honor in the Hebrew 
is the word kabod. I could have it wrong. I think it's the word kabod. I have to look it up again. But the word honor, literally in the Hebrew, there's multiple words. But the word that's used the most, especially in relationships, the word honor means give weight. Give weight. Uh, make something heavy. Think about a scale. Okay? Let's say uh, I have to make a church decision. And I don't know which way to go. Should I go left or should I go right? So I have a scale. I have two choices to make. And on the scale, on one hand, let's say a good friend of mine says, Matthew, you need to do this. If you don't do this, you'll be in trouble. You have to do this. You have to do this. But the Bible doesn't say give honor to your best friends. It says give honor to who? To who? The wife. So what do I do? I ask my wife, what do you think I should do? And what I do is I give more weight to her decision. Even if her decision is illogical, illogical she said, I give weight to her decision. <laughs> Even if her decision giving honor is. Are you with me? And now her decision becomes heavier, meaning I choose her decision. Now, it may not make any sense. And I'm going to show you why in just a moment. It may not make any sense. But when you give honor to your wife, God's promise is what? As you come down to verse 10, he who would love life and see good days. God wants you to love life and see good days. And when you give honor to your wife, God's promise is you will love life and see good days. Are you with me? Now, in Ephesians, what we saw in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, hey, with your words, you will cleanse her and wash her. Right after love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Don't speak over your wife what you're seeing. Don't speak over your wife what she's hearing. Speak life over her. Continue to speak life over her. And let me say this to the ladies, if you're dating someone, listen, don't date a man who doesn't speak life over you. Do not continue to date a man who doesn't speak life over you. If he's only speaking what he sees in you, find someone better because God wants you to have the best. Speak life. When he speaks life over you, he's showing you something. Hey, I'm in tune with someone else. And did you know that God never intended you to just be husband and wife? The Bible says that a three-bound cord is not easily broken. God intended for every marriage to have three parties. Husband, wife, Jesus. When Jesus is in the middle, everything will work together. Last Sunday, we said, my, and I stole this from my parents. They say this all the time. When Jesus is in the boat, you will make it to the other side. doesn't matter how bad the relationship gets. If Jesus is in the boat, you will make it to the other side. All right? Now, again, I'm not preaching this as if I do this all the time. I always speak life over my wife. I am learning. I am learning. Four years being married and more years dating. I am learning. But you know what? Now that I've learned this much, I want you to have the best. And everyone said... So continue speaking life. You ready to go home? <laughs> you know me better than that. That's only two. We've got ten more. I'm joking. I won't do that to you. Here you go. Now let me show you this. Honor your wife. Do we have a story of someone who honored their wife in the Bible? Of course we do. We have the story of Abraham and his lovely wife, Sarah. But I want to show you something interesting. Before her name was changed to Sarah, her name was what? Sarai. Sarai. Now I'm going to show you, this is really cool. We have a story of a man who submitted to his wife, all right? And this, to me, the reason why I'm showing you this part first is because this should speak to all the women in here, all right? Last week, we ended our message by saying, what is desirable and attractive in a woman? Do you remember? We looked at the Hebrew, and in the Hebrew, the letter He appears. What does the letter He mean again? Grace. It's the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It means grace. When a woman has grace, it makes her attractive. All right? When a woman doesn't have grace, it makes her unattractive. But when a woman has grace, it makes her attractive. In fact, the word for bride in the Hebrew is a woman who is always learning grace. Are you with me? So as long as you're learning grace, the favor of God is making you more attractive. Have you ever seen someone who's not the most 
kept young lady and you know, she's not, but there's a glow about them and they're just attractive. The favor of God works when you're not working with it. And everyone said, <laughs> I'm joking. My mom's giving me that look like you better chill out. All right. I love you. Do you love me? Let's go. We're going to look at a story of a lady named Sarai, but Sarai is her name before God gave her grace. Are you with me? So let's watch this. Now, Sarai, Abraham, Abram, not Abraham, Abram's wife had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, what do we see? A man who heeded the voice of his wife. He gave honor to her words. All right. Adam gave honor to his sons. <laughs> and we all ended up in this mess. And Abram, heeded, <laughs> and Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now again, I just want to show it to you so you see something interesting here. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. Wow. That's fair. <laughs> That's <laughs> my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between you and me. <laughs> when I was preparing for this, I was like, I have to use this verse. <laughs> he listened to his wife and then he got in trouble when he listened. <laughs> Is that not funny to, like, to more than just a few? I mean, come on. He listened to his wife, and then he got in trouble when he listened to her. Now, I'm going to show you the secret why, why this will never happen for you. And none of you said amen to that. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to show you the secret why this will never happen to any of you. Amen. Thank you. All right. One more time. What was her name at this point? Sarai. Sarai. And God changed her name from Sarai to what? Sarah. Sarah. Now, what's the difference? I'll show you in just a second. What's the difference? But let me show you what happens after her name is changed to Sarah. And let me show you after that why this will never happen to you. Genesis 21. Fast forwarding in the story. It says, now watch this. At this point in the story, Abram, his name has been changed to Abraham. And Sarai, her name has been changed to Sarah. And then Jesus appears and says, now you're going to have a son. This time next year, she'll be holding the promise in her hands. About... 10 years, I'm sorry, not 10, about three or four years passes after the boy is here. He has been weaned. After he's been weaned, all of a sudden, she looks up and we come to Genesis 21, verse 9. It says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Now, this is old King James for mocking, making fun of him. Right? One child, the older one, is making fun of the younger. So she saw uh, the child born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now watch this. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever, 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 whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now put whatever in bold. Because notice what God did not do. God did not say, cast out the bondwoman. If you're asking me, I'd say, God, give me direction. What should I do? Should I keep her or should I get rid of her? And God didn't give him one or the other. He said, whatever she says, do what she said. Are you listening? 
Now, as a husband, that makes me more confident in my wife. Do you understand? Because God's, God's direction to him was not turn left, turn right. It was listen to the wife. Are you with me? Now, I went back and studied the word comparable in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, when God said to Adam, he said to himself, let's make a helper, talking about Eve, let's make a helper that will be comparable to him. One translation of the word comparable means this. She will feel whatever he's lacking. Are you with me? Whatever he's lacking, she will feel it. Now, if you're a man, you understand what that feels like. We don't always say it out loud. But we are lacking in a lot of areas. <laughs> but then God gives us a helper that will feel what is lacking. Are you with me? See, when you see things God's way, you begin to value the other person more. And God wants you to value your mate more. Are you with me? So let's keep going. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now, let me show you. What's the difference? Why will this never happen to you? Are you ready? Look at this. In the Hebrew, the word Sarai. Can you say Sarai? Sarai. Sarai. Now, I'm going to point out the Hebrew letters. This is not important for you right now. Sarai starts off Hebrew reads from right to left. Okay? Right to left. The letter on the right is Shin. The letter next to it is Resh. The letter on the far left is Yud or Yod, whichever how you pronounce it, Yud. Now, before I show you Sarah in the Hebrew, suffice to say this. God's name in the Hebrew, the Lord, not God, but Lord, the covenant name of God is Yahweh. We've all heard that before, right? Yahweh. Yahweh is four letters. I showed you this last week. I'm not going to show you this week because I don't want to confuse anybody. Yahweh is four letters in the Hebrew. It is Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. God has grace twice in his name. Yud is a picture of a nail. Yud, hey, I'm sorry. Yud is a picture of a hand. All right, I got it backwards. I'm sorry. Yud is a picture of a hand. So the first letter in God's name is Yud. It's a hand. Hey, hand and grace. Vav is a picture of a nail. Nail and then hey again is grace. Hand and grace, nailed in grace. Are you with me? God, the Lord was telling all of us long before Christ came, when I come, the hand of grace will be nailed in grace. Are you with me? Now, knowing that, one more time, Yud is a picture of a hand. Sarai, her name before God changed it was Shin Resh Yud. Yud has hand on the end of it. It's a hand. All right? Now, watch this. When God changes her name from Sarai to Sarah, what happens? It's the same thing, but he only changes one letter. Shin on the right, Resh in the middle, Hey on the left. Shin Resh Hey. Hey, as we say all the time, is the letter for grace. So what does he do? He gets rid of the hand and he puts grace there. Are you with me? He gets rid of the hand and he replaces it with grace. Now, the moment he changed her name to Sarah, she did not have a baby. The promise didn't come immediately. The promise came nearly 10 or 15 years later. After God changed her name. Almost 10, I think 10 plus years later. Now, what's the point? God changed her name from Sarai, and I'll show you what it means in just a second. Let me show you now. Sarai literally means chief, ruler, or domineering. He changed her name to Sarah, which means princess. Isn't that interesting? One more time. Sarai without Sarah, Sar, actually Sarai has S-A-R in it. Sar is where you get the word czar. Someone who is ruling over people. That's where you get the word czar, all right? A Russian czar. God says, I don't want you to be domineering. Instead, I want you to have my grace. And when God puts his grace in it, 
He takes out the hand, he puts in the grace. She becomes a princess. Now, why not a queen? You know why? Because a princess tells the king what she wants, and the king gives it. She doesn't have to beg. She doesn't have to entreat the favor of the king. She is always in the favor because she is family to the king. Are you with me? And the Bible says in 1 Peter that ladies are daughters of Sarah. Are you with me? When you are a daughter of Sarah, you never have to fight for the favor of God. You merely have to receive it. And you will be a princess. (laughs) Are you with me? Now, watch this. When God changed her name from Sarai to Sarah, 10 plus years later, the promise comes. For 10 plus years, God had Abraham call her Sarah, 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 Sarah. Every time he saw her, he had to change what he called her. He could no longer call her domineering. He could no longer say she is domineering. He could no longer say she is a ruler. She is a dictator. She makes me afraid. He could no longer say that. He had to say, you are a princess. You are a princess. You are, he had to keep saying it, princess. Every time he called her name for food. Hey, princess, is the food ready? Hey, prin-, and why was he saying that? Why did God want him to change what he said? Because what you say has power. What you say has power. Life and death is in the is in the tongue. Life and death is in your tongue. Power is in your tongue. When you speak over your wife, don't declare what you see. Declare what you want to see. Are you with me? Don't just say, oh, you always do this. You're, 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 always, you're always like that. And I, let me say this. I, I make this mistake all the time. And she always reminds me of it. <laughs> when, when we get into an argument, I say, every time you do this, you always tell me this. She says, every time? Every time? And then the Lord reminds me, you shouldn't say it every time. And I'm like, well, it's too late. You should have stopped me before we got here. And then we're having a problem, all right? But the point is this. God changed her name for a reason. I don't want you to say over her what you see. I want you to say over her what I see. And what I see will make her into what I want her to be. And what I want her to be is a mother. Are you with me? I want her to be a mother, even in her old age. I want her to hold the promise. So I want you to change what you call her. God changes her name. And every time Abraham calls her, he can no longer call her domineering. He must call her princess. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? That's why when you receive the grace of God and you are receiving the grace of God, you are receiving, the more you are receiving the grace of God, listen, what happened to Abraham will never happen to us. Abraham said, I heeded the voice of my wife and I'm in trouble. May that never be your story. May your story be, every time I listen, I always see the favor of God working. Now, I showed you this because, you know what's so crazy? Let me back up real quick. You know what's so cool about this story? God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of the bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. Let me back up. Look at this. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham's coughing. Genesis 21. Look at verse 10. Therefore, Sarah, not Sarah anymore, Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. Now, the first time she told him to go into Hagar, it was because she wasn't seeing, she was impatient. She wasn't seeing the promise of God fulfilled. She was impatient. The second time she tells Abraham to do something, it's because she was upset, out of emotion. Think about it. As a parent, you step in for your children, you say, tell your child, deal with your child, or else I will deal with your child. <laughs> she didn't even do that. She just said, hey, get rid of her. <laughs> get rid of her. Now, it looks like she's going against what she said, but my, the reason why I'm saying that is this. 
It wasn't some, Abraham, the Lord told me in a dream last night to cast out the bondwoman and her son. It was a, get rid of this woman. Her son is making fun of my son. Get rid of her. As a man, I go, was she hearing from the Lord? That's not the point. That's not the point. It's not my job to figure out, is she hearing from the Lord? My job is to say this, is she receiving the grace of God? And she is. So because she's receiving the grace of God, I can trust her. I can trust her. God can speak to me when she's not the most spiritual person in the room. Or, or you know what I'm saying, by, by anyone else's standards. God can speak to me through her words, even when her words seem to be emotional. Are you with me? Because God backed her up and said whatever she says. Now watch this. God was so pleased in what she said. Do you know what God says in, in Galatians? Watch this. Galatians chapter 4. Paul says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. The story we just saw, right? Ishmael was making fun of Isaac. And Paul says, all of us who are under the grace of God, we are like Isaac. You can read it for yourself. All of us are like Isaac. We are the children of promise. We are children of grace. Are you with me? You are a child of grace. And everyone said, and he says, hey, even as Ishmael, born according to the flesh, talking about coming from the law, a picture of the law, people who are under the law still to this day persecute people who are under grace. It's never, it's never the world hates us because we preach grace. It's always people in the church. God can't be that good. You preach like all your sins are forgiven. You're giving people the right to go sin. (laughs) Don't give me credit. I didn't make it easy. Jesus made it easy. Are you with me? Jesus took my sin. I didn't deal with this. Jesus did. And it's never the world. When the world hears this, they go, oh my God, is God that good? I want that God. But people in the church go, there's no way in the world. (laughs) So what is he saying? It's the same situation today. But watch this, verse 30. Nevertheless, what does Sarah say? What does scripture say? God was so impressed with what Sarah said. She tapped into what God wanted so much that God honored her by saying, not even what Sarah said. What did scripture say? What did scripture say? I'm telling you, the more I'm studying this, the more I'm appreciating my wife. Even when it seems like she's just being emotional, I'm beginning to realize God is still speaking to me. God is speaking to me. And if I can learn to flow with what God is speaking to me through my wife, hey, I have the power to get wealth. I don't have to suffer and struggle anymore. I can trust that because she is someone who is receiving the grace of God, she will never steer me in the wrong direction. God is speaking to me. Can we bring this to a close? All the men say, I will honor my wife. And all the women were attentively listening. (laughs) Let me show you this. As a husband, I think uh, as a husband for four years, let me say this. This is something that always triggered my thoughts when I became a pastor. It's a very interesting story. I won't, I won't read the whole story to you. I thought if we had time, we might, but I won't do that to you. There's a story in 2 Samuel of David, all right? David who killed Goliath. There's a story where David, he already had a wife. And the Bible says that when David was supposed to be at war, what did David do? Instead of going to war, he stays at home. And one night while he's at home and the army's at war, he should be at war. He goes outside on the palace balcony and across the road, he sees a woman taking a bath. All right. So we call her Bathsheba. So her name was Bathsheba. Now he sees this woman taking a bath and instead of turning around, going back in the house, he lingers. All right. So it wasn't that funny. (laughs) So he lingers. The next morning he says, who is this woman who lives over here? And they say, well, that's Bathsheba. She is the wife of who? 
Uriah. Very good. The wife of Uriah. He says, tell her to come over here. So David commits adultery with another man's wife. Now, it's not bad enough that he saw her and he envied and he stayed longer than he should have. Then he commits adultery. So that's all. Now we're, we're making it worse. A couple days pass. She realizes that she's pregnant. Ooh, really bad. So he calls Uriah and says, Uriah, come home. And he tries to set Uriah up so Uriah will lay with his wife and never know that the child belongs to David. Are you with me? Now, I'm telling you all this for a reason. As all this happens, Uriah comes home and says, I don't want to go and lay with my wife. Not when my brothers are on the front line dying. I would, I, it would be a dishonor for me to go in with my wife and be comfortable when they're over here and they're uncomfortable, they're dying. So he says, I'll lay outside. David gets so angry. My plan isn't working. What do I do? I'm the king. I can't get caught in this situation. What does he do? He takes Uriah and he says, look, I want Uriah to be put on the front line of the war, meaning he'll be one of the first to die. Once Uriah dies, word comes back to the palace, Uriah is dead. David smiles and says, I averted that one. Good. Everything's okay. Then God sends a prophet named who? Nathan. You know the story. So we can skip this then, right? No, I won't do that too. So he sends a prophet named Nathan. Nathan comes in and Nathan says, let me tell you a story. No, I'm not. The point of the story is this. He says, a man had a hundred sheep, another man only had one. One night a visitor came to the man who had a hundred and he said, can we prepare a meal? The man who had a hundred said, oh, I don't want to kill one of my hundred. I'll go get the one, steal the one from my next door neighbor. So he goes, he takes the one lamb that the neighbor has. He kills it. He gives it to the neighbor. What do you think should happen to him? David jumps up and says, that man should be killed for what he did. He should pay with his life. Nathan says, ha, this parable was about you. You took another man's wife. And now God is saying what you did is going to come back on you. Now, in the middle of saying all of that, let me show you what God says. Because it's a powerful truth. And I want all the husbands who are here, all the young men who are going to get married one day. In the balcony, sir. All the men who will get married one day. Look, this is for all of you and for all of us. Okay? David, look what God says to David. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives. He's talking about Abigail, like we saw last week, right? Her husband died. So God didn't just give him another man's wife, right? Her husband died, then God gave her. So he says, and your master's wives in your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had not, if that had been too little... I also would have given you much more. Wow. Now listen, men, we don't live in the Old Testament anymore. If you ask God for more, you won't get more wives. All right? I'm doing good with one. We don't need more. (laughs) But it's true. But look, God says, if it had been too little, I would have given you more. And many times, I'm just being honest, many times we see God only giving a little. We look at a relationship that's on the surface, everything is good, and we go, I want a relationship like them. Why can't, I have, why can't you be more like her? Because I want a relationship like them. I'm doing my part. Why can't you do your part? And, and we may not say it in those words, but the point is this. We fight about things, but at the end of the day, God is saying, if what you have in your eyes is not enough, ask me, and I will give you more. I'll give you more. Don't go out and commit adultery. Don't go out and cheat. Don't go out and, and lie. I will give you more. If what you have in your eyes is not enough, I'll give you more. Man, that set me free in so many ways. God has said, I will give you more. I will bless your marriage more. You know, when Jesus turned water to wine, where was he at? Before he, before he raised one person from the dead. 
Before he opened one person's eyes, blind eyes, the first miracle he did was to turn water into wine at a wedding. Before God produces healing and everything else, God wants your marriage to be successful. He wants your marriage to be successful. He is invested in your marriage. And you know what the beauty of that story, what I think is so awesome about that story? When you turn, let's forget turning water to wine. When you have wine freshly made, what's the best wine? When it's fresh or when it's aged? It's aged, right? When it's aged. Jesus turned water to wine instantly. And instead of saying, go put it in the cellar, we'll come back and drink it in a few years. What did he do? Go give it to the one who's over the party. Go give it to the one who's in charge of everything, who's done this many, many times before. And when they give him the cup, he says, most people give the best wine at the beginning and they save the worst wine for the end. When people are drunk, they won't know what they got. You have saved the best wine for the last. So everyone who's drunk doesn't get to enjoy it. I'm just joking. (laughs) You saved the best wine for the last. Now, what's the point? Jesus not only made a miracle, but he sped time up so that the wine was so great. He said, I've never tasted wine this good. Man, that's amazing. What is God, what are we trying to say? If what you see in your marriage, you say, well, I'm missing this or I'm missing that. Ask God to do something. Ask him for something. Don't be jealous of someone else. Ask God for something more. Not someone more. Ask him for more. <laughs> and when you ask him for more, not only will he do a miracle, but he will speed time up. What it might take you 10 years to accomplish in your relationship, God can do it in an instant. But we have to ask. Aren't you glad? You have to ask. And grace, I'm sorry, asking prayer is grace in motion. It's grace is saying, God, I can't, but you can. And you can make it happen faster. So I'm asking you to do it. May God cause your relationships to increase. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Can we bring this to a close? It's my second closing. You said, keep going? (laughs) Second closing. I have one more close. I'm just joking. Let me bring this to a close. Can I... I'll show you this real fast, and I'll move on. I, I, I just want to show you Hebrew. One more Hebrew. Is that okay? <laughs> Watch this. Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular love his own, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Years ago, I heard a great man of God say this. I'm going to give you the secret. And I thought, oh, man, this is it. This is the secret. So I got my notebook out, and I said, Christina, leave me alone. I need to hear the secret. Are you ready for the secret? Men, and this is true, men... We have to be taught to love, okay? We have to be taught to be romantic. Most men are not born with a romantic bone in their body. It just doesn't happen. I'm sorry, wives. We are not born that way, women. We are not born that way. You say, my husband's not romantic. He's like every other guy, okay? We just have to be taught. But notice what God says right here. He says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife, own wife, not another man's wife, so love his own wife as himself, Men, go and work out. You'll take care of your own body. Hey, love your wife as as your own self. Love her. But what does he say? And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this is a powerful truth, and and I'm going to say one more thing, and I'll close with this. As much as I love my wife and I'm trying to learn how to love her more, the way that as Christ loves the church, the more I'm doing that, what I'm finding is this. I'm not always looking for love from her. The way that men interpret love is respect. All right? If she respects me in public, I, there's, there's nothing in the world I won't do for her. Climb every mountain. Swim every sea. <clears throat> you, I won't do that. Anyways, but my point is this. This is my point. When she respects me in public, I can't, you have no idea the love that swells in my heart for her. 
I mean, no, you have no clue. When she respects me in front of people. Now, in Proverbs, let me say this and I'll move on. In Proverbs, that's also how the adulterous woman deceives a man. Did you know that? She speaks flattering words. Interesting. She speaks flattering words. Now, women, let me say this. Uh, one more thing and I'll close. Women, let me say this. Flatter him so much that when he leaves the house, if someone else dare try. <laughs> Sorry, sweetheart. I heard that this morning. Try harder. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. I made a joke last week and no one laughed. I'll make it again. How do you flatter your husband? When he's carrying the groceries to the car, say stuff like, no man carries groceries like that. <laughs> he's got all the groceries on one arm. I'm, not, I'm, I'm being serious. Flatter him. Flatter him. Because men interpret respect and flattery as love. That's how we do it. We, that's how we do it. We interpret it as love, especially in, in front of other people. Say things that may not necessarily be true. Don't lie. But say things like, no man is like you. You know, just, just small stuff. But say stuff in front, of, in front of your friends. My husband is the truth. You know, just say things and respect him. Because when you respect him, I'm telling you, he will gladly lay his life down for you. Now, it doesn't mean we're waiting for you. All right? Husbands, don't tell them to do their part. We do our part. Wives, you do your part. Don't, Pastor Matthew said, look, the Bible says, no, do your part. Husbands, do your part. If she's not respecting me, I just need to lay my life down more for her and ask God for favor. And I'll find that the respect comes. Likewise, if she feels like Matthew's not loving me, all she needs to do is go, hmm, let me tell everyone else how great my husband is. And before we can get out the door, she'll find that I'm, I'm laying my coat in front of puddles. Step in my coat. Instead of walking around the puddle, step on my coat. Are you with me? Are you with me? Now, again, this is not psychology based on what this man study and relationship classes and books. We don't, want, we don't want what the world can offer us. We want God's blueprint. When we have God's blueprint, the Holy Spirit will transform us. Last verse, and I'll close with this. What is desired in a man is kindness. Can you say hased? Hased. What is desired in a man is kindness. We ended last week with uh, uh, what's desired in a woman. I'm going to close with this. What is desired in a man is kindness. Can you say kindness? Yes. Now, this doesn't mean be soft-spoken. <laughs> what is desired in a man is kindness. Hased. And a poor man is better than a liar. Now, what's desired in a man is hased. Let me show you the living Bible. It says kindness makes a man attractive. And it's better to be poor than dishonest. Kindness makes a man attractive. We'll close with this. Kindness makes a man attractive. Kindness makes a man attractive. The word hased is the same word for loving kindness. It's the same word used when they, God said, I want you to go out and fight. And the Bible says they went out singing, how great is his loving kindness. How great is his loving kindness. And where do we see the loving kindness of the Lord? We saw it at the cross. We saw it at the cross. At the cross, he said, this is how much I love you. I'm not going to... Kindness works like this. Kindness says, even when you don't appreciate it, I'm still going to do it anyways. Jesus didn't get on the cross and say, Father, what if they don't appreciate me? What if you don't raise me from the dead? What if, what if, what if, what if, I, what if, I, what if I lay my life down and they don't receive? What if I lay my life down and, and, and they don't do this? What if, what if? We will never miss out. We will never miss out being kind. We will never miss out. And as a husband, I'm, again, I'm, I'm learning all this. I'm learning it. I haven't arrived. I'm learning. But I'm learning. If I can be more loving and kind, loving kindness, it makes me more attractive. 
And everyone said, they said, amen. They weren't saying I'm attractive. I said it for my wife. (laughs) So have you been blessed this morning? Husbands, can we honor our wives? Can we honor our wives? Say, by the grace of God, yes. Yes. And let me say this again. If you are single and you're looking, and well, you know, one day I want a husband. I want a man of God. Let me say this. What makes a man attractive is what? Loving kindness. Don't be wrapped up in his looks. Don't be wrapped up in all the gifts that he gives you. All right? If he doesn't speak life over you. Let me say this. Looks will fade. Five minutes after that first date, you don't even notice how pretty she is anymore. Now it's the personality. All right? Four years later, let me say this. She's still the most beautiful. She looked at me funny. Four years later, she's still the most beautiful woman in the room. And you know why? You know why? Because she's constantly receiving grace. She's constantly receiving grace. Now me, I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm working on it. Me and Sean T. from Insanity are going to figure it out together. I'm going to hate him for a while, but we're going to figure it out together. But what makes me attractive is not how many pounds I can lose. What makes me attractive is what? Loving kindness. And that's what you're looking for. And everyone said? I love you. Let's pray real quick and we'll get out of here.